Do you know how difficult it is for me not to sit on that motorcycle? It is just practically impossible. The only thing that stops me from hopping on that motorcycle is that I know if I do, something will go wrong, it will slip off of its stand, it will fall down, it will knock stuff over, y'all will gasp, and I will look ridiculous. And that's the only thing stopping me. But after y'all leave, I'm sitting on me a motorcycle. <laughs> It's good to see you here this morning. I've, I've been thinking about this service, of course, been yeah, you know, all week long, thinking about this service and what do you do is Vacation Bible School and all this kind of stuff. Do you do, you do, a, do, you do a different kind of sermon? Do you do? And, and I read through the scripture and I went, I can't, I, can't, I can't cheat you out of what this scripture says. We're going to be in John 16 and we're going to be talking again about some of the things that Jesus says. And it's one of those things that I leaned back after I, I started studying and I had heard things all of my life. And, and now I hear Jesus saying the same thing that we're saying to the kids in Bible school, that I am with you, but it's in a way I'd not picked up. And it's really, really cool. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad you're here. I hope uh, if you've got children, I hope you brought them all and friends to Vacation Bible School. That's what's going on. We've got a lot of our normal folks are out working in the downstairs and there's lots of noise. Would not surprise me while we're in here if we had noise go by the door. If it does, have some grace. Life is good. Things are different. But Jesus is being spoken all through this building to some people that have never heard Jesus before, and that is a good thing. If you're visiting with us, we thank you very much that you, uh, uh, that you answered the call that God gave to you to come to First Baptist this morning. Pray that this feels like home to you, and I hope that, uh, that you feel like home, and home folk, let's make sure that we greet folks that we don't know, even if you find out they've been a member for 25 years, you won't die of embarrassment, I promise. Make everybody feel welcome. And I think that's, let me look at my little list here. Oh, yeah. Um, just, to, just to keep that in front of everybody, our desire at First Baptist is to be a place where people find Jesus and give Jesus away. And this week at Vacation Bible School, we are praying that a number of children will find Jesus. We don't want to just plant the seeds this week. We have a full-bore gospel presentation that we pray that the Holy Spirit will use and help some of these children find Jesus so that when they know him, they can't help but give him away because that's what you do when you know Jesus. Y'all pray with me. Father, I, I, we may not all believe in spiritual warfare, but your scripture tells us that there are powers and principalities. And all morning long, Lord, there's been this and that and the other thing. And, and this whole week has been a, been a conglomeration of different things that have gone on and happened and interrupting the normal routine. And I know the reason is because we are coming to your house today and the remainder of this week to give your name to people that need to hear you. Father, us, your children, we need to hear it, hear your name to be reinforced and to be uplifted, to be reminded. But, Lord, there are people that are going to come in this house that don't know you. And we are praying that this week that your Holy Spirit would remove the scales from their eyes and the cotton from their ears and that they would hear Jesus and they would be born again and made brand new and set on a trajectory to live for eternity. 
It's what we're asking you for this morning, Lord, that you be glorified in this place. I pray for the praise team as they lead us in worship. I pray for us as we worship that our hearts would, would be, all the cares of the world would be stripped away from us. And for the next few minutes, we will think of nobody but you. We love you, Lord. And more and more every day, we find out how much you love us. And it's a pretty incredible thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See, that's why I'm not getting on the motorcycle. The, uh, I meant to mention to you earlier that we have had a, a couple of people pass away in the church family. Uh, Ms. Betty Traver, who was Jim Britton's cousin, I believe, is what she was, passed away on Saturday morning over at uh, Pine Point Hospice. And Steve Manis passed away at home earlier this week as well. Um, Steve's funeral will be next, uh, this coming Friday, and haven't heard anything about Miss Betty yet. But I'm sure that you'll want to be in prayer for Perrin and her family in the passing of Miss Traver, and of course, Gail and her family as she gets accustomed to life without Steve. Uh, all this music goes right along with all that. And uh, I hope the Holy Spirit, I've been asking him to... Uh, to speak to you like he spoke to me in the scripture. Uh, I've read this stuff all my life. I've studied it. You know, I told you before, I went to seminary, got letters behind my name. And then sit down and read this, and, and the Holy Spirit opens up something a little bit different that uh, we'll see what he does. Scripture comes from uh, John chapter 16. Uh, John chapter 16, beginning with verse 16. I need to hear some pages turning. Y'all pick up your Bibles. John 16, we'll start with verse 16 and go to the end of the chapter. It's a big chunk, but I want us to hear it all. So here we go. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. If my version's a little bit different from yours, it's okay. The world won't come to an end. It says, a little while and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? A little while and you will not see me again a little while and you will see me and because I'm going to the Father. They were saying, what, what is this he's saying a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him and so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said a little while and you will not see me again a little while and you will see me? Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made complete. That's what's going to hopefully blow your mind right there. I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures. But I'll tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name. And I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. 
His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you come from God. Jesus responded to you, now believe. Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you'll leave me alone, yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. I think Anna was probably 14 years old. I don't remember. I didn't bother to look it up, but I think she was around 14 when I took her to Interlochen Music Camp up at Interlochen, Michigan. It's a long way from home. We flew to Detroit. We landed in Detroit. We rented a car. We drove up the mitten. We drove across the mitten to Traverse City, one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. It was early June, and it was something happened that I had not seen before because I've, you know, not been that far north in my life. And at 10 o'clock in June, it was still, there was still uh, light in the sky. You know, it's weird. Here at 10 o'clock, it's dark. Up there, there's still, you know, it's still getting dark. Ah, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. We go to bed. We get up the next day. We drive the 20 minutes to Interlochen. We get Anna unloaded and her stuff set up, and I hugged her, and she was gone. Now, it's all the rage nowadays to say that love is a verb. Y'all have heard it. I know you've heard it. Everywhere I turn, somebody's saying, you know, love is a verb. Let me help you understand something. Love is a verb and love is a noun, too. You see, I, I, love is a verb. I took my little girl to Interlochen because that's where she needed to go. I took her and handed her over to strangers in a foreign land. If you've not been to Michigan, it is a foreign land. It's near Ohio, where they have Ohio State. There's all kinds of crazy things that go on up in that part of the world. So here she is way up yonder. So love, I took her there. But as I'm driving away, it was all I could do not to pull over to the side of the road and be a puddle and bawl my eyes out because my little girl was back yonder and I'm up here. And see, I don't believe we can understand this scripture unless you've had an experience similar to that. It doesn't have to be taking your child somewhere. It could be a number of things where you've walked away from it. You did something that, that, that may have been difficult or whatever, and you walk away from it and turned into a puddle because of your love for someone or whatever, and you turn into a puddle. That's one. There's a second one that I think you have to understand, too. I don't think you can really understand the scripture if you haven't felt this. I would ask, have you ever, but I know you have because I've walked, a num walked with a number of you through these sorts of things and, and I understand because you understand. Life's rocking along normally. Everything's good. It's not spectacular maybe. Life is just good. You're content, couldn't ask for more, life's good, and then. Then maybe there's a car accident or a doctor's visit or a midnight phone call. And something is said to you in that moment that absolutely does not make sense. They're telling you something, but your mind refuses to comprehend what it is that you hear. And when you finally grasp and accept the reality of what they're talking about, you start thinking that, that life will never be the same again. It will never be as good. It will never be fill in the blank. 
You've got to understand those two emotions in order for this scripture to land home. And I realize when we talk about things like that, that we're talking in, in very dangerous territory because those feelings will come back to us and they hurt. I don't want to go too far down the road, but I want us to remember that's what the disciples were feeling when Jesus speaks to them. Now, we've been talking about the upper room and the Passover for weeks. For weeks, we've been talking about all this as things so rich and so full of truth and things that we need to understand, but it's only been about two hours in the life of these disciples. So they're sitting here, they come to the upper room, and they're in pretty decent spirits. I mean, think about what's, what's happened now. Jesus has been talking to them about some interesting stuff, but just a few days before, not too awfully long before, they've come into town, and they wanted Jesus to be this great uh, political leader, and they come into town, and people are lining the streets, and they're cheering for Jesus. So this thing might turn out right. This might be pretty good. And they go up a room for the Passover, and, and they're still in the back of their minds that this, this might be what we wanted. And then Jesus starts talking like this. A little while and you'll no longer see me. A little while and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to another, what's, what's he telling us? A little while and you will not see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, what is he saying? This doesn't make sense a little while. We don't know what he's talking about. Do you hear what they're saying? Jesus has been talking to them for over an hour, telling them over and over and over again that he is leaving, and he's telling them that, and here they are saying, he's been talking for an hour, and here they are saying, what is he talking about? I don't understand. Life is good. And you're giving me this data input that I didn't expect. <coughs> and nothing makes sense anymore. A number of y'all have got a little bit of age on you. You remember the movie Apollo 13? Y'all remember that, Apollo 13? Okay, got it. Just wanted to make sure, Apollo 13. So we see the movie Apollo 13, you remember Guys are going to the moon, and they do the cryo-stir. I don't even remember what it was called. Isn't that cool? Did a little cryo-stir, and all of a sudden, the oxygen tank blows up, and the ship starts banging back and forth, and it's like it's coming apart, and these guys are not happy about it. You know, they could be about to die. They don't know. All this is going crazy. Do you remember the scene in Mission Control? I can remember the guy's face because he has such an interesting face. They're seeing their data just go bonkers. Everything's going offline and, and oxygen's going to zero. and None of this makes sense. And the guy says, the guy says, it's got to be an instrumentation problem. You got guys on the radio that's telling them, the world's coming to an end up here, guys. We've had an explosion. We've got noise. Houston, we have a problem. And the guy on the ground says, nah, it's instrumentation. He heard something that didn't fit in the reality of where he was, and he didn't want to accept it. That's how we do. What is this he's saying a little while? This isn't where we want to go. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said a little while and you will not see me? Again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, I tell you, 
You will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Guys, I'm going away. And you're going to pull over to the side of the road, and you're going to puddle up. You're going to weep. You're going to mourn. And you know what's going to make it worse? Is the people... And I hadn't thought about that before, but these disciples, they're not isolated from the world. They had friends. They had people in the community. And some of these people that were their friends in the community are going to be rejoicing. They're going to be ecstatic that Jesus was killed. The very thing that you're broken up and crying over, these people are going to be thrilled about. And that's going to hurt... (coughs) Excuse me, that's going to hurt even worse. It's going to hurt even worse. You're going to think that this is killing you, but it won't last. Your sorrow will turn to joy. Then Jesus uses an illustration that a lot of us know about. When a woman was in labor, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. Have y'all watched a television program where they have childbirth? Now, I don't mean a documentary that goes into all the gory details. I'm talking about a program, you know, it's a police program, and they have a child born. And so you've got this 10-minute sequence where the woman screams once or twice, and then there's some person that's got brains standing there, right, that's going, push, push, and then the baby's born. They lay the baby on the mama's chest, and everybody bonds, and everything's good, and the music plays, and then they go to another scene. Is that happened to any of y'all? Is that even remotely close to reality? No, see, what I remember seeing, what I remember seeing is my cute, fuzzy-headed wife turn into a demon from perdition with wild eyes and sweat pouring off of her face and watching her muscles quiver from absolute exhaustion. That's what I've seen. And I got a feeling that's the way it worked with all of y'all too. Because Jesus is talking about it. But you know, then he says, after that baby's born, the labor becomes a distant memory. And I know that's true because I've, 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 I've experienced from other people where the wife will say after the first child is born, no more. And then six months later, nine months later, you come back and they say, guess what? We're having another baby. Yeah, because why? Because of the joy of a child coming into the world, the joy that a person has been born into the world, he's telling, he's telling you, guys, what you are going through now, what you're going through right now is going to be about the worst thing that you've ever gone through. But I promise, once the resurrection and the ascension take place, you'll hardly remember how bad it was. So you also, so you also have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. When he says, I'll see you again now, he's not talking about just the resurrection. He's talking about a little bit more than that. Think with me, and I want you to understand why we would say that he's talking about more than just the resurrection. Y'all remember if you were here last week, or if you listened to the podcast, and if you hadn't listened to the podcast, 
go back and get the podcast or go to the website, fbcgray.org, go to messages and listen to last week's message. Listen to what we talked about, the Holy Spirit, because that factors into this very, very strong. When Jesus ascends into heaven, he and the Father will send the Holy Spirit and Jesus will live in his disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing that struck me in what Jesus is saying to these guys. He's saying that when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to recognize me. All of these years, these three years that you've lived with me, you know me. And you know the feeling you get when you're around me, and you know how I operate, and you know me. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to recognize me. And your joy, your hearts will rejoice, and nobody will ever be able to take that away from you. Because you will recognize me living with you. You will recognize me. That's after the resurrection, after the ascension. Where do we live? We live right there. It's the same place. And he's telling them that what you know of me now, you will know of me then. And all of us too. Now, this is where it gets tough, so you've got to buckle down with me. Middle of verse 22, he really starts hitting us pretty hard. He says, how many of us, or, or I'm saying, how many of us have ever said, it would be easier to believe if I had seen Jesus face to face? Now, you probably have said that. I've said it. <clears throat> I've said it since I've become a Christian. I, since I have become a Christian, have had doubts. I have wondered. There have been times I've leaned back and wondered, is this craziness or not? I didn't go to hell for it. I won't go to hell for it. That's part of what it is to believe. If anybody ever tells you that if your faith wavers that you're wrong, you look at them, thank them, tell them have a good day. Don't talk to them about it again because these things happen. And, and, and what Jesus is telling these disciples is he's telling them, you're going to doubt because things are going to change. But what I'm telling you is, is, is that what is real will not change. What happened before I died and resurrected, that person that was here with you will be here with you again just like I am. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. I believe he would say to us, don't say it would be easier to believe if you saw me face to face. I am with you right now just like I was with the disciples. Do y'all hear that? Do you understand that? Do, do you understand the, 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 the difference that that makes? All my life I've been told that Jesus is with us. Jesus, yeah, and we've heard it so many times it makes us want to throw up. It's just rote. We've heard it a billion times. But what Jesus himself is saying to us right here is the same person that was with the disciples is with you right now every day if you're born again. Do you understand that? Well, I know Jesus, no, 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 no. The reality of that, that he's there. And then he goes on to prove that. He goes on to prove how that works. In that day, you will ask, you will not ask me anything. Now think about what the story's saying. In that day, you'll not ask me anything. Why? Well, because I won't be here. 
You won't see me face to face. But think about the story. Up until, up until this point, anything they needed, who did they ask? Huh? Oh, y'all can say that. Five-letter word starts with J. Jesus. There you go. You're in church. It's got to be the right answer. No matter what it is, that's got to be the right answer. Okay? So, Jesus. They have gone to Jesus and asked him every question that they had. If they needed something, if they weren't sure, if they needed clarification, they'd gone to Jesus. And Jesus says here, I, I, you, from this point on, you're not going to ask me anything Ask the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. What is he saying? Everything you ask me directly here, you're going to God himself directly. You remember Miss Janelle? We talked a couple of weeks ago. Miss Janelle's little eight-year-old girl in the Big A Club that said, you mean I can pray to God myself? Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying right here. Pray myself. Until now, you've asked for nothing. You can insert the words here from my Father because that's the implication. Until now, you've asked nothing from the Father in my name. Ask and you receive so that your joy may be complete. Now, what I'm hoping is, is that in your mind, there's a little wobbling going on right this minute because what you may have heard before in your life ask anything in my name, that teaching may have been pulled out of context from this. And it gets weird when you pull it out of context. You could say it like this, anything that you've ever asked me face-to-face before, you can ask the Father now, and he will deliver just like I delivered. That's what's being said to us. Anything we might have asked Jesus face-to-face, We can ask the Father now and expect an answer and expect the same answer that Jesus would have given us then. There is no difference, listen, there is no difference in the relationship we have with Jesus now and the relationship that they had with Jesus then, except it's not face-to-face. There's no difference. Whatever we would ask then, we can ask now and expect the same answer. Now, you see where, maybe y'all haven't been there, but I've been there where we've been misled in our teaching a little bit. Ask anything and it's yours. Hadn't you heard that? Ask anything it's yours. There's denominations that are built on that. Ask anything and it's yours. And if you take that out of context, you are set up for disappointment. I asked for, I prayed for my husband be healed, wife to be healed, child to be healed. I prayed for a new car, new house, new job. I prayed for, and it never came. Well, anything must not mean anything. Or maybe God is not what, what, who we think God is. The questions that we're asking him. I did a little exercise for us this week. I picked up speed a little bit here. Did a little exercise for you this week. I went through the book of John, and I read every question the disciples asked. Now, I only did the book of John, and I only used questions. I only used questions from people that were either a disciple or someone significant. I didn't include anything where they were trying to trap Jesus. These are the questions. These are the types of questions they ask. John 1, 48, Nathaniel says, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus says, well, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree and I saw you. What was the response? He says, ooh, you're the son of God. He was changed and the answer pointed him to Jesus. 
Jesus explained to Nicodemus in chapter 3, you've got to be born again. We've heard that so many times. It goes right over our head. If somebody told you and you didn't know any better, you weren't a Christian and you didn't know any better and somebody came up to you and said, you must be born again, you would react exactly the same way that Nicodemus did. That is stupid. How do I go into my mother's womb a second time? This makes no sense. So Jesus explains it to Nicodemus. And then what do we get? We get John 3, 16 and 17. Uh, that's right over here that says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave the one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. And what happened to Nicodemus? When they came, when Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus is the only one that speaks up. And when Jesus is crucified and dies on the cross, who went and helped bury Jesus? Nicodemus. Because he asked the question. Now, there were two money questions. And I bet you, bet you, bet you, bet you, bet you, because I do it too, that you've prayed more money questions than you've prayed anything else in the world because you're an American and we think we've got this huge standard of living that we have to maintain or we won't be happy. And so we asked money questions. There were two money questions that were asked of Jesus. The first money question that was asked of Jesus was, so let's see, where are we? Uh, yeah, first one was, John 6, so Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him. He asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him. That's not the question. For he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for them to have a little bit. Y'all remember 200 denarii because I preached this wonderful sermon on that back when, you know, and you remember everything I said, 200 denarii is a year's worth of work. And, and he's saying, listen, you could have a year's worth of work and you wouldn't even have an appetizer for these people. But here's Andrew. Andrew always brings people to Jesus. And Andrew says to, to, to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Here's the question. But what are they for so many? And Jesus takes five barley loaves and two fish and feeds 5,000 men and their wives and their children. Now that to me is pretty cool because, you know, we lean back here at the First Baptist Church of Gray and go, we don't have enough resources to do. We, we're blessed and we've got a lot of resources, but we don't have enough resources to do all this. Who cares? Turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, what is this among this problem that's so big? And he says, lean back and watch, boy. Ah, but then you got the second money question that comes up. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, John 12, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who's about to betray him, said, here's the question, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? If 200 denarii is a year's salary, then 300 denarii would be a year and a half, right? Why wasn't this sold for a year and a half's worth of salary? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was greedy. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of it. And Jesus, what was his answer to the person who prayed for greed? Leave her alone. She is preparing. She saved this for the day of my burial. His answer was a very clear no. When we ask some of these things and we don't get the answer, I wonder if that's the answer. Finishing up, you end a prayer, we all end our prayers in Jesus' name. If you just say amen, you walk away and feel like you haven't said abracadabra. 
That's just it. You don't say in Jesus' name at the end of it. You didn't close your sentence right. I mean, your paper, right? When you write a letter to somebody, what do you have to put on the bottom? Sincerely, Randy Darnell. Well, we have gotten in Jesus' name and sincerely equated with each other. In Jesus' name, sincerely, amen. That phrase is a gut check. And what it's saying is, when I'm praying in Jesus' name, it's like I'm standing there with him. Do you understand? Why? Because I am with him. Same relationship the disciples had I have with him. Man, I'm telling you, this will blow your mind up. I sat down to pray after I did all this studying. I sat down to pray and I had to catch myself and stop because I started to say things like, be with Byron Farmer, Lord, you know he's been sick. And then I had to stop and I, wait a minute. I said, wait a minute now, if Jesus is sitting here with me, would I just pass it off that way? What would I say to him? Man, and that's where, that's where it's at. He is here with you. When you sit down to pray, in Jesus' name, you are talking to not the guy that's out there, but the person that's right here. Same relationship. Same relationship. Why did Jesus go through all of this? Last little thing. I've told you these things. So that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. That's not a big surprise. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. Jesus said all these things. He's told us since chapter 13 for one reason. He wants us to have peace. He knows we're going to have suffering. He knows that's going to happen. Be courageous. I have conquered the world I'm telling you right now, this is the message that we need to hear. These misguided people who teach us that Jesus wants you to have it all, I want you to think about the logic behind that. If you had more of what you have right now, do you think for a skinny minute that you would be any happier? I can tell you from my own life. Make $25,000, I can't wait to make 50. 50, I can't wait to wait, make 75. Make 75, I can't wait to have 100. I've got a two-bedroom house, a four-bedroom house, a five-bedroom house, three bathrooms, two cars, three cars. Every kid's got a car. Everybody's got everything. And it's still the same yearning in your heart. That yearning won't go away because the yearning isn't for the dream. The yearning is for the peace of Jesus to reside in your heart. He wants you to have peace. And that's what you want. You know that's what you want. You're doing everything you can to have peace. And he's saying, it's right here. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. Jesus is saying very, very simply these words, follow me. Now, how do I follow him? It's a very simple thing. Read scripture. See what he did and do what he did. Do what he did. You're not going to do it right every time. Some of you know that on, I hope it's a relatively rare occasion, I can pop off at the mouth. I don't mean to, but you people are annoying sometimes. And I know I'm annoying too. So it all works out, don't it? Jesus only popped off to a few people. 
So I try to follow him and do what he did. And I talked to him about it. And that's what he sang. And if you focus on that, then the peace comes. Because he's living with you, just like he lived with the disciples. Messed my prayer life up. I hope it just messed yours up. I hope when you get down to pray tonight, tomorrow that you cannot say Lord bless this person, bless that person I hope you can't do it, I hope you can't do it and hope you get mad at me and then I want you to remember that I'm talking to Jesus who is sitting beside me and living within me and I need to talk let's talk to him now from the valley of vision, I really like that book and they pray good prayers All thy loving kindness is in thy son. I bring him to you in the arms of faith. I urge his saving name as the one who died for me. I plead his blood to pay my debts of wrong. Accept his worthiness for my unworthiness. Accept his sinlessness for my transgressions. Accept his purity for my uncleanness. Accept his sincerity for my guile, his truth for my deceits, his meekness for my pride, his constancy for my backslidings, his love for my enmity, his faithfulness for my emptiness, his faithfulness for my treachery, his obedience for my lawlessness, his glory for my shame, his devotedness for my waywardness, his holy life for my unchaste ways, his righteousness for my dead works, his death for my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning Jesus died so that you may live. He died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to die on the cross. He shed his blood so that you wouldn't have to shed your blood, and his blood covers all of our sins. He gave us a way to hope. He gave us a way to his happiness. He gave a way to joy. He gave us a way to peace. But the only way to get there is for us to understand, to stand before him and say, you are God, I'm not. Forgive me of the way I've lived. I want to follow you. And I encourage you to do that this morning. If you've never done that, I ask you to do it. And if you've done that, but you did it just to check off a checkbox, I pray this morning that you hear the Holy Spirit calling to you and say, saying, come home, come home. If you've done that, come and talk to me. If you want to join the church, you can come forward and do that. Please pray for someone this morning who needs to know Jesus. They need to know what we know. Y'all stand. Let's sing.